Uh, we started this series in 1 Peter eight weeks ago with these words. Do you feel strange? You should. A few days later, I find myself in Luero, Uganda, in the midst of over 300 pastors, a stranger in one way, but certainly not an alien. Some were indeed friends from our previous visit, but our oneness in Christ united us all in our worship and in our desire to serve him where he had placed us. These men and women were the leaders of their church communities. They were people of influence. People would look to them for an example to follow. They would speak, they would seek spiritual help from them to guide them, and in fact, turn to them for practical support in difficult times. It's almost embarrassing because not only was I a pastor, but a pastor who had come many miles to be with them, to teach them and encourage them. But in the end, it was they who encouraged me with their, and challenged me with their sincerity, their enthusiasm, their generosity, their sacrifice, and their rhythm in dancing to the music. Down the years, I've never taken uh, for granted the immense privilege I have as a minister. Just ask any of our retirees over coffee, and they will say the same thing. The opportunities we have as ministers, we would never have in life with a real job. Here in chapter 5 of First Peter, Paul, or Peter gives some closing instructions to the church, page 1220, if you want to turn. He gives them this advice because they needed to know how to be careful to live their lives. Uganda is a relatively safe country to travel to, but still it was good to have our bus driver, Eddie, to make sure that we got to the right place safely. But there are other places in the world where tourists are advised to be especially careful due to the level of terrorist threats. If you need to know anything about anywhere you want to travel to, then the best place to go to is the Foreign and Commonwealth Office website. And there they will advise you on visiting places like Sri Lanka, or the Maldives, that is if you're not traveling courtesy of their governments or a secret benefactor is not actually looking after your visit. Peter is saying here, be careful how you live. Be careful. We use those words all the time, don't we? We say them to our children and our grandchildren if they're out in the playground or when older, as they're going out at night. We say them to our spouses or our brothers and sisters when we think that they're overdoing it for their age. We even say it to ourselves in moments of reflection and listening to our conscience. Be careful. Peter is saying here, be careful how you live. Now, in it, he's speaking to the church leaders and then a more general audience before. He, here he's speaking to the church leaders 
and a more general audience before he gives a wise warning about the devil. But he turns first to church leaders here, and he says to them in verses 1 to 4, be faithful, be faithful. Notice here in verse 1 of chapter 5 that Peter calls himself a fellow elder. He does not place himself above anyone else, as he probably had the right to do so, because he was one of the twelve. He had been commissioned by the Lord Jesus, and despite all that and who he was, he deliberately includes himself among the church leaders that he is addressing as a fellow elder. Even the moderator is the first among equals. There might have been a time in the past when Peter would have been worried about his position in the kingdom and the pecking order of importance, but that time had now passed. And Peter knew from personal experience and from witnessing the example of the Lord Jesus that the elders, the pastor, would go through great suffering because they were the leaders of the church, and he was one of them. The history of the church down the centuries is littered with examples of pastors suffering and even being martyred, and that still continues to this day. When they come for the church, they will come first of all for the pastors and the leaders. Soon it would happen to Peter himself like it had happened to Stephen some years previously. Then it would happen to Polycarp in the first century, Latimer and Ridley in the 16th, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the 20th, as well as brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka on Easter Day of this year. And so in the midst of their situations and circumstances, Peter here in verses 1 to 4 wants to remind his fellow elders of two important facts, and then he gives them four pieces of advice. And first of all, in verse 1, he reminds them that the Lord Jesus had suffered for them and therefore was able to sustain them. Listen again to what Johnny read as our gospel declaration this morning. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. He was able to bear the burden because he is our great high priest who has ascended into heaven. And then secondly, Peter reminds him here in verse 1 that glory always follows suffering if we submit to Christ. Peter just reminded them there in uh, four, chapter 4, verse 12, not to be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon them to test them. And suffering and glory are interwoven the whole way through 1 Peter as they are part of the Christian life, but one day it will pass and we will share in the glory to be revealed. And so he says to his fellow elders, he gives them these four pieces of advice and they, they, this is they. Their ministries, firstly, should be to shepherd the flock under their care. Verse 2, to feed them, lead them, encourage them, discipline them, protect them. If the shepherd did not take responsibility for the flock and allowed them to wander as they wished, then where would the sheep end up? Secondly, their motive should be a willing heart. Verse 2, they were to serve with a willing heart, 
and out of their love for the Lord Jesus Christ, they were to love the flock he had given to them. This work was not just another job to do in the pursuit of the dishonest gain of money, prestige, power, or promotion. They were to do it out of a willing heart. One of the questions a minister is asked at their ordination or an installation is this one. So far as you know in your own heart or the call of God, zeal for his glory, love for the Lord Jesus Christ, and a desire for the salvation of men and women through the power of the Holy Spirit, your central motives as you offer yourself for this new sphere of service. It's a question about motive. The reason why we do this, why we feel called to the ministry. Shepherd the flock with a willing heart, says Peter. Thirdly, don't lead, don't dictate, verse 3. Peter says they were to be overseers, not overlords. Pastors were to be an example to their flock, not a stumbling block. How many ministries have been ruined by overlords who should have been overseers? All of us should be examples, but there is a special expectation on those who are called to be shepherds of the flock. We are to offer to the chief shepherd our sacrificial services, Peter. And then fourthly, don't seek the glory there in verse 4. People should never enter the ministry because of what they get out of it, but because of what they believe they can give to it. But there is glory to come, not from the praise of human lips, but a crown from the chief shepherd. We read those lovely verses in 2 Timothy 4 the other day at, at Marina's funeral. As for me, the hour has come, the time is here for me to leave this life. I have done my best in the race. I have run the full distance. I have kept the faith. And now the prize of victory is waiting for me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who wait with love for him to appear. Be careful how you live. Be faithful, says Peter, to his fellow elders. Shepherd the flock with a willing heart. Lead, don't dictate, and don't seek the glory. And then he turns in verses 5 to 7, and he says, Be humble. Although verse 5 refers literally to the young people in the church, it can also be applied to all members of the church as they follow their spiritual leaders. They were to clothe themselves with humility towards one another. They were to be controlled by a humble spirit. The Reverend Dr. Dick Lucas, the former St. Helen, um, uh, rector in St. Helen's Gate, Bishop, uh, St. Helen's Bishop's Gate in the city of London, is now 93. He has written these words. In order to make us trust him, God works hard to make us lose trust in ourselves. And when we do that, we begin to show true humility. For as the late Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones has written, humility is the hallmark of the child of God. Be humble under God's mighty hand. Allow God to have his way, says Peter, because when we hand our lives completely into his, 
that we begin to see how much he cares for us. Peter is here echoing the psalmist David in Psalm 55, verse 22, when he declares, Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Satan, that we will turn to in a moment, would have you and I believe that Jesus does not care about us and that the trials and tribulations we face in life is another example of God's indifference towards you and towards me. But says Peter, that is not so, for we can cast it all upon him because he cares for us. But it starts with a humble spirit. So seek to be humble, says Peter. And then in verses 8 to 11, he encourages them thirdly to be watchful. Be watchful against the devil who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And if anyone knew about the prowling of Satan, it was Peter. Listen to what uh, the Lord Jesus warned him and the disciples about in Matthew 13, verse 24. Jesus told them another disciple. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. And while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the weeds sprouted and formed ears, then the weeds also appeared. And then down to verse 39, Jesus explains the parable. The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The word devil means slander. Uh, the Lord Jesus describes him in John 8 as a liar and a murderer. Strong words indeed. And Peter has already said in this letter that the de devil uses people to falsely accuse so how do we defend ourselves or defeat the devil? Well, says Peter, first of all, we need to be alert. Verse 8. The sorry story of David and Bathsheba in 2 Samuel 11 resulted in David not being on guard against temptation. We need to be alert to how the devil works through people, through situations, through circumstances, but especially through people. Be alert, says Peter. Secondly, resist. Verse 9. This word comes from the idea of an army standing together against the enemy. As Hillary mentioned in her prayer this morning, tomorrow is July the 1st, and at 10.30 there will be a short act of remembrance at the cenotaph to remember the first day of the Battle of the Somme 130 years ago. So if you're in the town tomorrow morning, maybe stop for a few moments with us at the Cenotaph. 19,240 men lost their lives that day. 2,069 alone from the 36th Ulster Division. Together they went over the top. Together they gave the supreme sacrifice. They waited until they received the, honor to go, the order to go as one, and ultimately their sacrifice 
won the victory, but it was at a high price. The price the Lord Jesus paid on the cross means that we can resist, that we can stand together with confidence, but we must do it together. Too often we as the church have stepped back or we've fallen asleep and we've allowed Satan to get on with his work unopposed. Be alert. Resist, says Peter. Believe, he says there in verse 9. Stand firm in the faith. The price the Lord Jesus paid on the cross means that we can resist, that we can stand, that we can believe together with confidence. But again, we must do it together. And then fourthly, he says, remember, verse 9, you know the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Remember, others are going through exactly the same as you. Therefore, you are not alone in your journey. I wonder if you ever watched some of those nature programs um, and one in particular springs to mind about a herd of wildebeests wandering through the grasslands when suddenly a lion appears and they all start running. And as long as they stay together, then they can almost defend one another. And the lion seeks to isolate one of the, the herd, a, a strangler, a, a younger one who can't run as fast as the herd. And when they get them on their own, then they can hunt it down and eventually go in for the kill. When we are alert and when we resist and when we believe and when we remember, then we will not be isolated so the devil can move in and destroy. In all of this, says Peter, the grace of God will be supplied and will be sufficient and will make us strong and firm and steadfast. What a great promise that is. In a moment, we will sing these words, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon you and me. And that's, my brothers and sisters, why we can live as strangers and aliens in this world, because his mercy is amazing. My soul is purchased by his blood. His grace is sufficient. My life is safe with Christ on high. His care is all en en encompassing with Christ my Savior and my God. But to live here, to live here as strangers and aliens, we must be alert, we must resist, we must believe, we must remember. And says Paul in verse 11, to him be the power forever and ever. Amen. My friends, live well, even though it feels strange, and do it for his glory.
Let us pray. Father God, you lay a challenge before us this morning to live as your people in this world. So I pray this morning for anyone here this morning who has carried baggage into this building of a burden of a heartache, believing that you don't care or are unconvinced that you do care or that you need that they need that burden lifted by you. Father, we thank you that you are sufficient. Or maybe we're going to leave this building this morning to a challenge that faces us or someone who we know and we'll speak to in the coming days. And we're not quite sure whether we will be able to face that on our own. Thank you that your promise is that your grace is sufficient, that we can cast all our cares upon you. And so we give to you, O God, our lives, asking that indeed we might live them for your glory, even though at times it does feel strange, even though at times we do feel out of place. We ask that in all things we would reflect the Lord Jesus in what we do, in what we say. We ask it in his name. Amen.